Welcome to Asia Rising, a podcast from La Trobe, Asia, where we discuss news, views and general happenings of Asian states and societies. I'm your host, Matt Smith. The election of Joe Biden to serve as the 46th President of the United States comes at a critical moment in the country's relationship with Asia. A global pandemic, frayed diplomatic relations and struggling economies will make the next four years internationally significant and Biden is assumed to reset many relationships and to bring an old-school sensibility back to diplomacy. Here to discuss the outcome of the United States election and what the Biden presidency will mean for Asia is Bonnie Glazer, Senior Advisor for Asia at the Centre for Strategic and International Studies. Thank you for joining me, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on your podcast, though. So if you could start by giving us a bit of a, um, a nutshell of where things are at the time of recording. When I first sent you a, an invitation and a request for this podcast, we didn't know who the president was going to be because there was still counting going on, as you'd expect. And now we think we know who the next president's going to be, but it's still a little tiny bit ambiguous. So uh, what's the situation as, as you see it at the moment? Well, from my perspective, um, I, I don't think that it's uh, ambiguous. Uh, I think that uh, there are a couple of states that are having recounts. Georgia's is almost uh, finished. Even if there are uh, some lawsuits that uh, the Trump administration is successful in, in getting filed in some states, I don't think that the outcome is going to be any different because there's really no evidence of widespread fraud and there isn't a single state that has claimed that there is any real evidence. Uh, so President Trump has yet to come to terms with the outcome, uh, but I think that he eventually will, um, and uh, that on January 20th we will have uh, a transition of power to uh, an administration led by Joe Biden. Mm. So uh, if we could dive into the Asian region then, there's been a, a fairly colourful and inconsistent four years of interaction that they've had with President Trump. So I was wondering if you could take me through a bit what awaits Biden as he, as he picks up the phone to talk to Asian leaders. And I, I realise that he's talked to a few of them. I just want to get a sense of how the relationship is between the Asian region and America as it stands at the moment. Well, the first three phone calls uh, with uh, Asian leaders were with uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison and President uh, Moon, of course, of Korea, and uh, uh, Prime Minister uh, Suga in Japan. So these are U.S. allies, of course, and that signals that uh, Biden is going to prioritize relations with allies. And, and we've all known that there is a widely held view among the Democrats that President Trump has weakened uh, U.S. credibility and leadership not only, of course, uh, in the Indo-Pacific region, but really around the world, and that it is a high priority of uh, Joe Biden uh, to restore uh, American leadership and credibility. I mean, the public opinion polls just show uh, in some cases that people trust President Trump to do the right thing about as much as they trust Xi Jinping in China, um, which is really quite low. Mm. Uh, across uh, most countries uh, in the world. I mean, I have to, of course, caveat this by saying that uh, the United States really is in a domestic crisis right now with uh, COVID-19 ravaging the country. We're, we're seeing a surge in cases in virtually every state. 
and we're seeing a reversal of the opening uh, up that has taken place uh, really beginning in, in the summer. So Joe Biden is going to inherit a situation where he has to hit the ground running first with the deployment of effective policies to contain the spread of the virus, to produce the vaccine, and to ensure that it gets to as large a number of Americans as quickly as possible. So I think more than any other president that has come to power in recent memory, Joe Biden really is going to have a focus on on the domestic situation. Uh, But um, foreign policy will be important to Joe Biden. I mean, after all, he was chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee for many years. He did uh, get involved in foreign policy when he was vice president under the Obama administration, particularly with China. He sees himself as uh, somebody who can sit down with a leader of a country, uh, have a conversation and, and maybe figure out ways forward, uh, maybe brainstorm about how to work together with like-minded countries. So he's going to want to be personally involved in foreign policy in a way that President Trump never was. And do you think that the relationships that he has with Asian states and societies are going to, in a sense, almost reset with the new presidency? Or do you think that there's going to be a lot of baggage left over from the, the Trump era? Well, I remember when George W. Bush was president and there was a lot of criticism around the world of the United States using force. And this, of course, was in Iraq and Afghanistan and uh, Libya. And when Obama was elected, the world was really, I think, very open and, and eager to re-engage with uh, the United States. Obama went to to Europe and gave a speech and talked about how he supported a world without nuclear weapons. Now that Mm. was agenda that was never, never realized, of course, but nevertheless, it renewed hope around the world that there was going to be peace and the United States was not going to be invading countries. And so similarly, I think that most countries in the world, leaders uh, really do want to re-engage with the United States. They're, I'm sure, undoubtedly pleased that President-elect Biden has already said that the United States will not withdraw from the World Health Organization, which the Trump administration had decided it would do. This is a president who is going to be committed to building multilateral organizations and to strengthening the rules-based international order and trying to fix it where it isn't working very effectively. Mm. So Biden has a long experience with Asia uh, in the Senate Foreign Relationship Committee and as as vice president with foreign policy. So what do you think will take his attention with Asia? Uh, What do you think will be on the to-do list? You just spoke about uh, what Obama intended but maybe wasn't able to achieve. So what do you think Biden will hope to approach? Well, I think it just starts with showing up. This is always important, you know, especially for countries in Southeast Asia. But I think even beyond that, as president, Biden will want to attend uh, the APEC East Asia summit meetings, uh, appoint a U.S. ambassador to ASEAN and hold summits around the region. Uh, So I, I expect that he will be personally involved in travel to the region and probably first to our allies. And I think that managing China's rise uh, will be seen as uh, really the biggest challenge in Asia, and it will be very high on Biden's agenda, but I think it will come after we reinvigorate our alliances. And 
also really after we begin renewal in the United States. I mean, my personal view is that the Chinese see the United States as weak. Because of that circumstance, it might seek to take advantage of the United States early on. I mean, really, the Chinese started seeing the U.S. in decline after the global financial crisis. And I think the pandemic has really confirmed that view and invigorated China's own confidence about its own future. And so I think engaging with China in negotiations or summits really too early might not be such a good idea for Biden. But that, of course will be left to him and his national security team. And I have to say that policies really don't become terribly clear until we know who's in these very important positions uh, in uh, the National Security Council, the National Security Advisor, and then of course the Secretary of State and uh, the Secretary of Defense. You know, we will have to wait and see who are in those positions. Mm. But we do know uh, some of the uh, things that just have been talked about by Biden's surrogates throughout the campaign. And one thing I would really highlight, which will be, again, global, not just in the Indo-Pacific, is democracy, human rights, religious freedom. These will be more prominent issues, I think, under a Biden administration. And um, I think that there will be more coherence overall to U.S. foreign policy than we have seen under Trump. Mm. There's two different aspects of of that that I just want to unpack a little bit. Um, One is the democracy challenges, especially in Hong Kong, but also in uh, Taiwan to some extent. And what you think Biden's approach will be to that? Do you think that he'll, you know, be more vocal about such issues or try to leverage some sort of action or direction in those areas? Well, as far as Hong Kong goes, Biden as a candidate uh, has spoken out quite strongly in uh, criticizing the implementation of the national security legislation in Hong Kong, the Mm. violation of human rights, uh, the undermining of Hong Kong's autonomy. Keep in mind that, you know, Biden is going to inherit an enormous number of uh, new laws, regulations, restrictions that didn't exist previously. And Hong Kong is just one of those areas where Hong Kong is now essentially treated as just another city in mainland China. We've imposed sanctions on individuals and entities who have been deemed to uh, be responsible for the uh, undermining of autonomy in Hong Kong. And, and, And we're likely to see more to come in, I think, the coming weeks, even before President Trump leaves office. And I don't expect that as president that Biden will unravel these restrictions. He inherits a a very different relationship with China overall, and then very specifically on issues pertaining to things like um, Hong Kong and uh, and Xinjiang. And Mm. and during the campaign, uh, Biden's team stated uh, authoritatively that the Biden administration, if it came into power, would essentially declare what's going on in Xinjiang with the incarceration of uh, Uyghurs and and Kazakhs as genocide. Now, this is not something, again, that the Trump administration has done. No country in the world has actually called this genocide. So I think you will see a much tougher stance by the Biden administration in those two areas in particular. What do you think about the trade thing then? Do you likely see the trade war escalating or continuing in much the same way that it has with China? 
I would say two things on that. First, just as with Hong Kong, Biden inherits a existing set of policies, and that's tariffs on a very a large number of Chinese products. I doubt that the Biden administration is going to lift these tariffs unilaterally. In fact, they potentially provide leverage in negotiations that he can use them to uh, try and get a deal on other issues that, of course, pertain to trade. The second point is really that all of the problems in the U.S.-China trade relationship remain. Uh, They were outlined very carefully by the Trump administration in the Section 301 report early on uh, that our U.S. trade representative put out. These, of course, include things like requiring uh, joint ventures to transfer technology to Chinese uh, companies and uh, not protecting intellectual property and providing subsidies to Chinese companies, not having sufficient market access. There's really been a long list of grievances that American companies and, and other companies, I think, that operate either in China or with China have had. And the phase one trade deal just really didn't begin to, uh, to deal with these. So I think that, yes, the Biden administration is going to want to pick up negotiations eventually with China and try and address these in a more effective way than the Trump administration did. And maybe the tariffs will be a, a lever that will help him to achieve some progress. If we can turn now to one country that President Trump had a lot of interaction with, and that's North Korea, they were given a lot of legitimacy in meetings with Trump and Kim Jong-un, but there has been little developments for more than a year now and no sign of a nuclear weapon surrender or de-escalation. So will Biden take a similar summit-led approach? or Do you think that those sort of things will need to continue or will he try and reset the relationship with North Korea? think that Biden will probably return to a more traditional policy approach toward North Korea. Um, And he has has endorsed essentially an approach that builds up, bottom up from working level meetings, uh, Uh coming up with things that can be agreed upon. And he has said that he would be willing to tighten sanctions on North Korea until it takes concrete denuclearization steps. Uh, My expectation is that Pyongyang will resume provocations early next year perhaps uh, ICBM tests, SLBM uh, tests, if that occurs, will then lead the U.S. to push to strengthen uh, sanctions at the U.N. and to pressure China and Russia to comply with existing sanctions. So I think that's just, in my view, a a possible uh, scenario. I don't rule out eventually that there could be a summit, but you know, unlike President Trump, I don't think that Biden thinks that a summit is the way you start negotiations with North Korea. There's a, a popular perception that Vice President-elect Kamala Harris is uh, very much a, a president in training. Given her popular reception in Asia, particularly in India, do you think that she'll be of value to America in the region? And uh, how do you see that sort of relationship growing there? It's, it remains to be seen whether uh, Kamala Harris wants to make her mark in an area of foreign policy and whether the Biden team would want her uh, to play that role. Since Xi Jinping is likely to remain in power, I think at least for another term, maybe longer, she probably won't have the opportunity to play this kind of a role uh, with China. You mentioned India, and I think that presents a good opportunity for her since um, her family has roots there. 
She might be involved in rebuilding alliances during the time that she was running for president. She spoke quite elegantly about the need to strengthen uh, alliances. So there's a significant convergence there with Biden. Uh, she also has uh, talked about human rights and free trade and uh, liberal democracy, protecting the liberal international order. Uh, so those are areas in which she could make a contribution. One other final area is climate change. You know, she's from California, and that is a state that really has been in the lead in combating global warming. Uh, during the campaign, she had said that she would make a climate change a central focus of not only of America's policies, but also America's relationships abroad. And so I think that's another area where she could make a mark if she wishes. We'll now take some questions from the audience. And uh, I believe the first one we'll talk to is Suresh Markandan. Uh, hi, Bonnie. Thanks for this opportunity. There is a view that Trump was only the symptom and not the root cause of US's problems that really stem from a, a deeply divided country with widely socioeconomic disparity and racial tensions at home and a global hegemon overseas. How will Biden handle these conflicting views of um, U.S. in the international arena? Thank you. Well, Trump is both the symptom and the cause. I think he's exacerbated some perhaps uh, deep trends in the United States. And I think he didn't create certainly things like racism, but he has legitimized it and therefore made it more widespread. And yes, we have enormous domestic problems in the United States. And I actually think these are things that Joe Biden has thought quite a bit about. He's a unifier by nature. He likes to bring people together. He feels very comfortable around Americans who are not well off, who are suffering. Not all people who come from you know elite families like President Trump, I think, uh, really uh, understand what it means to try to help people. Joe Biden sees, uh, sees Americans as part of his bigger family, and I think he really does want to help. And he's going to be surrounded by a lot of people who have thought about uh, the deep divisions in our country that have really emerged to the fore over the last four years in particular. These are very experienced people. Uh, many of whom have served in government before. Uh, that doesn't mean they're necessarily going to go back to the policies that were pursued under prior democratic administrations. But I think they know how to use government to make things happen. One of the priorities will be to improve on what we call Obamacare, the healthcare insurance uh, program that was implemented under President Obama, which is an improvement, but still not good enough. It doesn't cover 100% of Americans. You know, I think that by helping to improve the situation in America, this will really help to restore America's reputation uh, around the world. The lack of respect right now for the United States is in part due to President Trump, but it's also because of the things that are going on in America. And so this is one of the reasons why I am certain that Joe Biden's top priority is going to be to renew and rejuvenate uh, the United States of America. All right. Thanks for that question there, Suresh. We'll now go on to Rowan Kallick. 
Okay, thanks, uh, Matt. Um, I've got a question which uh, I sent to Matt. I'm being naughty here, Matt. I'm sorry. I've got a second one, but I'll ask the first. The PRC's uh, <laughs> core international success has come through weaponizing its economic rise, or at least perceptions of the inexorability of its rise, including, of course, via the Belt and Road Initiative. How can the US under Biden manage, divert, or counter this success? And my second, about Taiwan, which Matt raised, but we didn't really get onto, Obviously, for Xi, if he wants to enter into the CCP Valhalla, it's going to be through assuming, let's say, assuming Taiwan. How is Biden going to approach that vexing issue? So those two things. Thank you, uh, Rowan. Good to hear from you. And uh, I'm glad you asked about Taiwan again, because I failed to um, answer the question when, when Matt first, uh, first posed it. So I'll start with that. There are obviously some policies of the Trump administration that uh, I think were on the right track, although not completely. And, and Taiwan is one of those. You know, I think Trump administration policy toward Taiwan was somewhat uneven. Uh, at times, it implemented policies aimed at strengthening ties in substantive ways. Uh, we've actually seen some really important weapon sales over the course of the last uh, few weeks and months. Recently, an economic and commercial dialogue was launched that will strengthen cooperation on supply chains uh, for semiconductors and 5G, energy and health and things like that. So those are all good things. On the other hand, there have been times that policies have been symbolic, not substantive, and have been seen as provocative and deliberately poking China. And when China does not like what the U.S. or Taiwan does, it punishes Taiwan. And so we have seen stepped up military pressure on Taiwan as a, as a result. So Biden inherits, again, just as with China and Hong Kong, he inherits a very different set of policies uh, toward Taiwan. And he is going to have to decide what he is going to do going forward. My guess is he will do less of the poking China in the eye, that he will do things more quietly, less publicly, less visibly. I cite an example, before Trump came to power, the United States sailed Navy ships through the Taiwan Strait fairly regularly, but they were never announced. And the Trump administration decided to announce them every time that they're done, and Biden will probably go back to not announcing them. But the commitment to Taiwan security will remain. You know, to some extent, the ball is in China's court. If they continue to put diplomatic, economic, and military pressure on Taiwan, then it will be absolutely necessary for the Biden administrations to step up and strengthen ties with Taiwan. And so it'll be interesting, to, at least from my perspective, to see whether the Chinese try to ease off some of this pressure, because if they back the U.S. into a corner, make us appear weak, I think the Biden administration is going to be very sensitive to not wanting to be seen as weak in the face of Chinese bullying of Taiwan or using coercion against other countries. You know, this is an opportunity for China to dial back tensions if they want to. We'll have to see. I think that this relationship will be further strengthened. It just will not be quite as confrontational. And on your first question, 
you know, again, there are things that are being inherited from the Trump administration that are worth building on, like infrastructure projects. And Japan, Australia, and the United States uh, have agreed on one uh, now, and I think it's in Palau, so that's in the Pacific, but maybe there will be others uh, that we can build on that provide alternative sources of funding to uh, infrastructure projects, although dollar for dollar, we're certainly not going to be uh, competing with China. So I think there's going to be a movement away from the constant criticism of China, which, you know, Secretary of State Pompeo has been traveling around the world in arm-twisting countries, uh, telling them that they should not side with China, they should not be part of the BRI, they should not buy Huawei. And I don't think that the tone of the Biden administration is going to be quite as unilateral and finger-wagging, if you will. I think there's going to be much more effort to work together with allies and partners rather than, than alienating them. I think that's just really a top priority. There's a shared belief that we're not going to be able to influence Chinese behavior and shape Chinese choices and policies going forward unless we have more effective coordination with uh, like-minded countries. All right. Thank you for that question. Uh, plural there, Rowan. We'll now go to uh, Hunter Marston uh, for a final question. Hey, thanks, Matt. Um, and thank you, Bonnie. Nice to hear from you. Um, I guess my question sort of builds on the previous one a bit. Looking at Southeast Asia, I'm seeing some expectations that the Biden administration might not pressure states to choose sides in the U.S.-China competition. Is that overly optimistic or do you see more room for flexibility? Thanks. Good to hear from you too, Hunter. Thanks for tuning in. First, you know, I want to say that I really do think Southeast Asia will be a priority for the Biden administration. Uh, there's a perception that Southeast Asia just hasn't gotten enough attention. And under the Obama administration, it really had been um, cultivated as, as, as a really central part of U.S. policy toward the region and relationships uh, built with many of the leaders of Southeast Asia. That's really fallen off. And I think Trump only went to the APEX summit once. As I said, I think that Joe Biden's going to want to show up. We can certainly say that we won't force uh, countries to choose between the United States and China. But it, it, when it comes to some very specific things, uh, there are choices that need to be made. Uh, 5G, of course, is definitely one of them. And I don't think there's any uh, member of ASEAN that is interested in uh, shutting out Huawei at least that I have seen so far. Uh, I think there's actually 40 countries worldwide that have joined what the Trump administration calls the, uh, the clean network. Australia and Japan are part of that, of course. To me, it's, it's going to be a really huge lift uh, to get Southeast Asia uh, to join that. And so, yes, I think there'll be less uh, arm twisting. There will be, I think, more efforts to work with some of these countries uh, economically. We'll see what what will be done in the South China Sea. You didn't mention that in your question, but I think that's really a, a big question mark because under the Obama administration, there was uh, certainly the beginning of the freedom of navigation operations. But under the Trump administration, we've moved on from freedom of navigation. We've expanded it to freedom of the seas and protecting what is within countries' exclusive economic zones as far as energy and fish are concerned. And so my hope is that uh, the Biden administration continues on this path of protecting the rights of countries to have 
their exclusive uh, development of these resources. This is a challenging set of issues and, and how do you uh, develop very close ties with Southeast Asian countries without making them choose and filling their needs. There's a lot of demand in the region, as I'm sure you well know, for greater U.S. involvement, but they don't just want to see U.S. military ships sailing. Um, they don't want potential confrontation in their backyard. They really would like to see economic development and sustained involvement of the United States, not sort of this episodic uh, engagement uh, that we've seen. So uh, it's a tall order. I'm optimistic. I think there are a lot of really capable people who are coming into this administration who've thought, I think, really deeply about how to strengthen U.S. leadership uh, around the world and return the United States to being a better partner. Thanks, everyone, for your great questions. Thank you, Bonnie, for your time today. It's been uh, very appreciated and it's been great to hear from you. I wish you and your country best of luck for a peaceful transition and we'll be watching with interest to see what happens. Thank you. You've been listening to Asia Rising, the podcast from La Trobe, Asia. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may cast your pod. Please leave a review. They are always very appreciated. You can follow Bonnie on Twitter. She is at Bonnie Glazer. And you can follow Latrobe Asia as well, at Latrobe Asia. I'm Matt Smith, and thanks for listening.